Do you know why she says that? No. Me either, but I did a bunch of research. (laughs) (laughs) And I still don't have an answer. But here's what I know. Happy New Year, Maniacs. Happy New Year, Maniacs. We're back. Wow. Were we gone for a million years? No, we took two days off, it felt like. It feels... It went really fast. It both feels forever and two days. We hope you guys had a great holiday. Hope you had a great ba- uh, holiday, both uh, Christmas and New Year's. Or whatever you celebrate. Yeah, that you had a little whatever. bit of a break. Maybe yep. you cooked something good or... Yep. Was Santa good to you? Yeah. What did he bring you? A cleaver. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I got a big, badass cleaver. <laughs> I got some cool synthesizers to go beepy boop with. Yeah. Speaking of beepy boop, we got new music off, off the top. Yeah. I don't know if you guys like it or not. I've always felt like the original song that Mark made it, but it's based on the, the episode, the theme music from the show. I've always thought it was kind of high to be right in your ears. That's just, that's what the theremin does. It does those really high notes really well. Yep. And I always thought it was kind of painful. So I took it and made it kind of Romany. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's I kind of a uh, tombola kind of. Yep. It has a, a kind of fun feel to it, and I shortened it just it a It makes bit. me think of like merry-go-rounds. Yeah, it has know? that feel to it. That that sort of oscillating accordion music. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It has just that little touch of crazy, which is certainly this. apt for this episode. Okay. First of all, we gave you guys a Christmas present. We gave you Midsummer Bells. Talk about crazy music. Boy. Sorry, guys. Wow, we can't sing. We know that. Boy, we didn't even try. Did you respond? <laughs> well, actually, we, we did try singing and whoa. <laughs> We did. Those are tapes that will never ever. One of our kids actually has a beautiful singing voice. Yes, Uh, but when combined with mine, it sounded like Pavarotti and a cat being stepped on. So that wasn't good. Whew! It was. uh, So we took a different approach, and I think uh, people responded. Yeah, a lot of people have watched it. The insane thing is, we already have next year's song picked out. Yes. Because as soon as we tried to record this one, we went, wow, this was a bad choice, wasn't it? It was good on paper, but wow, this is bad. What could be a worse choice? That song. Yeah, okay, that'll be much worse. let's do that next year. <laughs> we can start practicing now. <laughs> the whole YouTube has gone nutsy bobo. Yeah. On us over the last couple of weeks. In a good way. Apparently, I think people were off, and I think it was... Midsummer is a cozy show. It is a known... Quantity. If you want to watch something that is not going to be upsetting or stressful, Midsummer is a good choice. I'm telling you what I've gleaned from the analytics, and this will come as no surprise to you, that if you're an over 60-year-old lady uh, listening to us on YouTube on Sunday afternoon, you are not alone. (laughs) (laughs) And that's totally great. You are an army of over 60-year-old ladies listening to us on Sunday afternoons. We should leverage that. I bet you they've got great recipes and stuff. Something. Something. Yeah. Hey, 60-year-old ladies. <laughs> we like you. We like everybody. Welcome to being and a we maniac. we got so many 
It's well never too wishes. late to become a maniac. That's yep. what that tells you. It is never too late to become a maniac. We got so many Christmas and New Year's wishes. We we love them all. Thank you all so much. We just are overwhelmed with wonderful support. And you all bought merch, and we're almost at our goal for our merch. And just just amazing. Yeah. Keep, keep buying stuff. We're helping out uh, a charity called Direct Relief. Well and wishes right back at you. Right back at you. So, episode 69, um, Secrets and Lies. Spies. Secrets and Spies. We haven't even done the intro to the show yet. <laughs> That's how crazy this episode is. We can't really even think straight. Uh, Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into the episodes of the shows, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. The Sabretooth Tigers. Oh, Wow. Rabbit hole. (laughs) This is season 12, episode three, Secrets and Spies. Yes. Now, some of the newer episodes that hadn't been shown in Britain have now been shown in Britain. Good. So if if you watch some of those new episodes in Britain, we have many episodes, both on YouTube and in our feeds, for all those uh, new episodes, and it's pronounced Chinook. So you can watch them like a maniac. Yep. And uh, just a warning, if your kids watch the show, they can listen to the podcast, but wow, we're going to... There are no role models in this episode, okay? No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I kind of would like to be like Seth when I grow up. And, well, (laughs) so this is, and this is the beginning, like season 12 is bonkers town. Yeah. The whole time. The whole thing. Yeah. It is just the beginning. It's probably a good thing we took a break sort of in the middle of it because there's only so much loony loony that you can handle at once (laughs) before you get slap happy. (laughs) So this is film. Like I went to Sarah on Monday of last week and it was like, this episode is loony. (laughs) Yeah. And I had only watched half of it at that point. Yeah. I've seen it. Several times, and I completely forgot just how crazy it is. Filmed in August and September of 2008, broadcast the 29th of July 2009, which is important, and we'll get to why later on. Directed by Rennie Rye, who's directed a whole bunch, and written by Michael Akins, who's written nine episodes. Well, we'll have written nine episodes. And it starts out in East Berlin in 1982, which yeah. apparently is the 50s because it's black and white and 1950s headscarves all the way. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the 80s, okay? This is like jelly shoes and charm bracelets. It's, I mean, I know East Berlin was, you know, more like living in the Russian block than in the U.S. in the 80s, but still, they had color. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> there were colors <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> I remember that. So for a far better look at East Germany and West Germany in the 80s, you look at Atomic Blonde uh, with Charisse Theron in it as the right music, the right look, and color. Oh, hey. And uh, it's a pretty good movie. But, uh, okay. So the reason we're starting there is because the characters in this episode have a history of being spies for the UK, right? Doing things in broad daylight out in the open? Yes. <laughs> Right out in the daytime, they were all involved with smuggling people under or over or through the wall between East and West Berlin in the 80s. Now, so I started here with my research because I remember the wall coming down for sure. And David Hasselhoff making his (laughs) reemergence. 
It was so weird. <laughs> of all the weird places this episode is going, I didn't think we were going to get to David Hasselhoff. It's be- because he he was he was like not even a thing until the wall came down, and all of a sudden it's Hasselhoff on the wall. Well, I was in I was at college, and where I went to college in Canada is Kitchener Waterloo, which used to be called Berlin. Like it's the largest German speaking population outside of Germany. So. It was like the entire town went nuts. Yeah. Because they they were going to see relatives they hadn't seen in years and years and years. Yeah. I mean, wow. East Berlin was... I, I knew quite a bit about East and West Berlin and the differences between them. But what I didn't realize until doing this research was that the barricade wasn't put up right away. I didn't, I thought as soon as they decided to split Berlin, they put the barricade up. But for a while, it was kind of this honor code thing. Like there were apartments that were in East Berlin, but had like porches that were def- that were technically in West Berlin. So people would just walk through the apartments and out the other side and, and leave. Yeah. And then the Germans went, wait, wait a minute. And the Russians went, wait a minute. We're yeah. not, we, we should probably do something about that, right? The East, the East Germans. Yes. Led by the Russians. Yes. Who, by the way, the, what you get from the cold opening is, boy, East Germany sucks. Because it did. It was oh, awful. It was horrible. You could have six wallpapers. You got to choose from six kinds of wallpaper. <laughs> like, they controlled life to that that depth. I know wallpaper is not like the worst thing that could ever happen, but like that's how much they controlled. Buckle up, Buttercup. This is going to be quite the episode. <laughs> so they put the barrier up in 61, right? So we're in 82. Yeah. We're way past. We're like, yeah. you know, we're 20 years. We start it's, 20 years after really the wall's gone up. It's near the end of the wall. Yeah, it, it's closer to the end than the beginning, that's for sure. Yeah. And there were a couple of things I just did not know looking into this. Like, did you know that one of the first reality shows was set at the wall in 1962? No. Okay, so NBC funded a group of West German students to dig a tunnel and they televised it. <laughs> have to see that yes that's insane there's so many pop culture references 29 people escaped through the tunnel before it was discovered like how bad was east berlin there are tv crews over there and you don't wonder what's going on so a lot of people did get over the wall and did escape yep unfortunately almost 200 people did not successfully do it yeah but successful methods a tightrope Okay, that makes sense. How did they not notice that? It's not like you can hurry over a tightrope. Well, they also did it via zip lines, mm-hmm. a couple ultralight planes. Okay. But my favorite true story of a real escape was a guy whose fiance was on the other side. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he gets over there and he borrows a convertible. Okay. And he takes the windshield off of it. Okay. And lets air out of the tires, puts his fiance and his fiance's mom in the back seat and drives right under Checkpoint Charlie. Like right under the the gate. Yes. He got the car low enough (laughs) that he approached the border and then he just gunned it, pedaled to the metal and went right under the gate and right across the border in a convertible. Speaking of convertibles, there is a red one in this episode. Gosh, Jarvis's Roadster. 
we we would go we would talk about Jarvis's roaster for ten minutes if this was a regular episode, but that's not even any of the interesting stuff oh, no. in this episode. No, no, his roaster is just an extension of his ego, and that's that's all you can say about it. Yep. Though I do think it's funny that instead of a regular seatbelt, a car like that has like a harness that looks kind of like a baby seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's being strapped into a baby's car seat every time wonder, he drives it. I wonder if he's going to take it to the Northwest Territories. So he stops and asks for directions, mm-hmm. Jarvis, at the Odd Fellows. No, he doesn't ask. He demands. He demands. Allenby House, directions. So he stops outside the Odd Fellows. I thought the Odd Fellows was an American thing. I thought it was a pub in the episode. It's not. Nope. It's a fraternal order. Yes, it is. Do you know why they're called Odd Fellows? No. Okay, there's a couple of... They start roughly in about 1730 in London. Right. So it's actually a British thing. Yeah. Which is, I didn't know. And then they split. This answers a question I've had for a long time. So the question I had for a long time was, what if you live in a town too small to have a guild? Okay. Say you're the only blacksmith in town. Right. I'm in the blacksmith guild. Yeah. Of myself. Right. Like you can't go all the way into London every time there's a meeting or whatever. It's yeah. not realistic. So one of the suggestions of why they are called odd fellows is because they're the odd men out of guilds or oh. they're people who are the profession is too uh, specialized to have a guild. That makes sense. Which makes Absolute and utter sense. But they went on to become philanthropists and yep. money raisers and, you know. The other idea is that they're ideas of philanthropy and charity were so odd that people called them the odd fellows. No one's really sure. It is a long-running fraternal order that people are not sure of the origins of. Yeah. There's well, a great REM song about an odd fellows lodge. They managed to get one in this little bitty town. So it, the first time we see Tom in this episode, he is at a crime scene, right? And it is obviously a murder because there are bunny suits everywhere. It's not like it's just a robbery. And yet there is a footprint on a windowsill that's being measured. And then he just wanders away as if it's, it's going to solve itself. It's like it's an episode that we've forgotten about. What was that crime? Because Sir Malcolm pulls up with his family in tow following the hearse because they're rehearsing his funeral. And then it's like murder, murder, whatever. Okay. He just walks away. And the whole notion is this. Tom does not want to work on Sunday. It is his day off. He wants mm-hmm. to put his feet up. He wants to watch television. Doesn't want to do anything on Sunday. Yep. He proceeds to work every day after this. <laughs> Including Sunday. And we're we're two minutes into this episode. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even talked about Seth, who shows up right away. Seth. How many jobs does Seth have? Five. He looks after sheep. Yes. He provides protection for the pub. Mm-hmm. He works in the bar in the pub. Mm-hmm. He's a butler. Mm-hmm. He changes light bulbs. Mm-hmm. He also knows about technology. He oversees security. Yes. He assists in overseeing security. He knows all of the answers and some of the questions. Yeah. (laughs) He's got like six jobs. Plus, he has the world's best tech wizard vest ever. He's Techie Hagrid. He is Techie Hagrid. (laughs) And then... 
Barnaby basically says he's so stupid he doesn't understand anything. I'm like, why is he the most employed man in Midsummer? Barnaby acts like he's simple, like his IQ is low. It can't be. No. <laughs> when he has like seven jobs and it- <laughs> he just shows up every scene in this episode but that's not even the best part we gotta wait for the best part about seth but he does have a cell phone which i was kind of impressed by oh my god when he pulls that cell phone out i'm like what pocket did that come out of (laughs) and why is the time wrong oh so so very much He, he his name is seth comfort yes which makes you think of cold comfort farm which he would fit right into Absolutely sure he's called Seth Comfort because of Cold Comfort. Yeah, he's played by Clive Russell. He was also Brendan Tully in Game of Thrones. Yes. Which, like, he has the same hair, beard, everything. His outfit changes, but otherwise he could have walked off of one set and onto the other, (laughs) changed, taken the wizard vest off, and off he goes. Yes. I know, it's so hard, right? It's so hard. Like, where do you even start? Sir Malcolm is an old spy who is bonkers because he rehearses his funeral and takes his family through it over and over. That's who he's rehearsing it for. He wants them to be sure. He wants to be sure they're going to get it right. Right. So he's in the car with his son, Nikki and his daughter-in-law, Jenny, who will now be referred to as Borg queen (laughs) because she's played by Alice Craig, who Who was fantastic. She's a great actress, but she is the Borg queen. She's, I have in my notes a sentence which reads, Borg Queen gets out of bed with Doctor Who and goes, has sexy time. <laughs> that, is a, that is a direct quote from my notes. How is that possible in the same episode? Is it the episode or is it us? <laughs> Bread of heaven. Yes. So Malcolm is infatuated with his own funeral. He wants to get it right. He's like built his own casket and... It's it's sad because I think part of the reason why he's so fixated on his funeral is that his wife has died. And yes. he's he kind of wants to be with her, you know, thinking that after he's dead, he'll be with her again. Um, and he's led this life of intrigue and excitement. And now that's all gone. Yes. So the idea is that his house, Allenby House, is a safe house. Which, isn't that supposed to be kind of covert? What do you mean? They have big signs in the front of the house that say no admittance past this point. And the most gorgeous winged dog gargoyles I've ever seen. And I didn't even get a chance to go into them. Don't forget the razor wire and the the checkpoint shack. Which is empty. (laughs) The doors are open. Like, this is not covert. Right? Not at all. (laughs) And everyone in this town. Okay. We have to deal at some point with the fact that everyone who would have wanted nothing to do with each other and is silly for the government to put them all in one place, they all live in the same town. Yeah. Because Anna Massey, who plays um, Brenda. By the way, Anna Massey is in this episode. Brenda Packard. She's, you know, like the queen of spies. She's on the, also on the WI and grows big vegetables. Apparently. She does. She also lives in the village. Everybody lives in this village. Like this is where I'm surprised spies John go Le to Carre retire. doesn't live in this village. <laughs> well, Joyce is reading his book. 
He died recently. It's sad. He did. But this is like where old spies go to retire, but everybody pretends they don't know it. Yes. Which is just weird. But then, while this Allenby house is supposed to be all covert, they have this annual, you know, MI6 versus the village cricket game. Which is, (laughs) there's cricket in this episode. How does Allenby House even put together a cricket team? There is an eight and a half minute cricket scene in this episode with jazzy music. When you first watch this episode, you think this is just an excuse to put Tom in that hat. He's so funny looking in that referee's hat. And point. With his ears all sticking out. Yep. And he clearly is enjoying himself and is bitter about having to rule, you know, learn all the rules of cricket, which he already knows because he loves to watch the cricket on the TV on the Sundays. But that you think, okay, that's the setup. But nobody's even died yet. No. Joyce is meta in this episode, and we need to have that discussion later, how meta she is. But she's fantastic at, oh, you want to watch telly on Sunday? Well, you got to fix the drain pipe and fix the hedge and talk to the the neighbors. Go to the garden center. So Tom agrees to referee this game. Yeah. To get out of doing all of that, right? And then in the midst of all of that, he just casually says... Well, I worked for MI6 for a while. Okay. This whole scene. What? This whole scene with Joyce needs to be broken down. She's reading Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. By Jean Le Carre. Yes. And he's reading The Laws of Cricket, 2000 Code, 3rd Edition, 2008. Because they're not rules, they're laws. They're laws, and it's from the Marleybone Cricket Club. And, and he... And there, he he's just, right, there's 42 of them. And he just happens to drop in there that he was recruited by MI6 right out of police college because they thought he spoke Russian, but he didn't. Who they really wanted was Brenda Packard, who could not have been at police college with him no. because she's like 20 years older than him. Yes. <laughs> and they don't look anything alike no. or have similar names. So we have to come to the conclusion. I don't get it. That Tom is lying to Joyce. That he's pulling her chain, at least. Yes. But I. But he actually did do a few months of service with MI6 as a grade seven security officer, which doesn't exist, by the way. No. I tell you what does exist is the police training ca- college at Bramshill, though. Yes. And boy, if you're British, you guys know about this already. This was like, there was, they took... A, uh, a mansion. They it's took, a Jacobean estate, and they basically tricked it out mm-hmm. on the company on the taxpayers' dime in 1960. And, and there was this huge scandal because of it. Mm-hmm. And then the police couldn't maintain it, so they sold it back to the government in 2014. And it's currently on the market. You can buy it if you want to live at Bram's Hill. You can buy it right now. Oh. It's and, very expensive, by the way. <laughs> He says he spoke Russian, so they confused me with Brenda, but he doesn't speak Russian. Like, it makes no sense at all. No. How did they get through this scene without laughing? I don't know. But Joyce is like, whatever. I don't, okay, whatever you say. Costin Museum is broken into. (laughs) Number one, why does Costin have a museum? Number two, what's in the water there that makes the head curator so randy? She practically humps Joan's leg the whole scene. She does hump his leg the whole seat. She's so close to him. <laughs> she seems sweet, though. 
She does. Like he does seem to like her back a bit, but but you know. first before Jones goes there, he looks at the Costin Museum website. Did you have a close look at this? No, because I knew you would. I did see the hot pink text. That oh, was interesting. Oh boy. <laughs> they have a number of exhibits coming up. Oh, okay. okay. Including Growing Up in Midsummer in the 40s, oh, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have local history subjects, including all the normal ones, mm-hmm. but also May Queens and Royal Engineers, both of which have been subjects of episodes. Yes. But then, oh, wow. Along the side, we have Bishop's Drift. <laughs> Hogson. The Henry Hogson picture yes. is featured prominently. Even though it's a fake. Even though it's a fake. So... This episode was shown the week before Black Book. Oh, you think that's why they delayed showing Black Book? No, no, it's not Black Book that they delayed. Oh. It's, it's. I thought uh, I'd figure something no, out there no, for no, a second. No, 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 no. We'll get to that. We'll get to that delay because that delay figures in later. But there's also a big section on Bridget, Bridget Arendale. I couldn't find this person anywhere. There is a first assistant director in one episode called Arendelle, but that's it. Wow. Like there's a picture of her and everything. That's a deep cut, babe. They have some Victorian (laughs) cottage stuff. And yeah, like Bishop's Drift and the picture of Henry Hogson are on that website. And I was just like, whoa. That's a nice little throwback. We're having some fun now. Like maybe they have an exhibit about how it's a fake. That's interesting. What they don't have is a website address that I could buy. Of course not. But boy, <laughs> did I want to buy that one. And then recreate it yes. <laughs> pixel for pixel with all of its frames and everything. We'll get into 80s tragic websites later. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is just the episode. Barnaby comes in and says nothing but true things about the rules of cricket. Yeah. Which is excellent. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly studying the book. He's bitter about having to do it. He later on realizes he enjoys it quite a bit. Some bossy le- woman left you a code. Yes, <laughs> left you a letter. So, like, which of the bossy women in Barnaby's life could it have been? Hmm. It's Anna Massey. It's Brenda Packard who's left him a note in code. It's a substitution and multiplication cipher based on a pre-agreed word given numerical value multiplied by the date of the delivery and sent in five numbered sections. Whatever. What's the pre-arranged word? He doesn't know. No idea. But Gail gets a letter. All right, let's just do it. Let's just rip the Band-Aid off and talk about Gail. Gail's applied to be a detective constable. No, no. She's applied to be a W. DPC. No, because there's no such thing as a WDPC. Not anymore, but there was. There wasn't even then. Oh, there wasn't? No. Oh, okay. No. Okay. That's Barnaby being old timey. Okay. Well, she gets it. She and passes qu- her exam. And in the first overly cliche women in the workplace things, she cries. And runs away. Yes. And then spends the rest of the episode fretting over her clothes. Okay. Because she's supposedly so stupid that she doesn't know that plain clothes mean regular clothes instead of uniform and not that the clothes have to be plain and drab. And the only ever time, the rest of the time she's mentioned, she's criticized for doing her f***ing job. Yeah. It's not a good episode for PC Stevens. Just annoying. Now, this episode is broadcast six months before the Your Favorite episode where she and Jones are in the closet 
and she's dressed as a PC. Mm-hmm. So it's, they're out of order. It's so confusing. Yeah. It must have been, people must have been like, Did what? she get demoted? Did she get demoted? Like, what? what's going on? Suddenly, Anna Massey shows up. Poor Gail. Sorry, Gail. Yes. You deserve better. Gail deserves better. She got a promotion. Good job. I don't even know what I'm supposed to wear. Oh, God. How's oh. this outfit? How's that outfit? Oh, jeez. <sighs> okay. Anna Massey shows up and references, my daughter is forever in your debt. And my mind goes to action spy Barnaby. <laughs> like, I want an action. I want like an Endeavor series with Barnaby. I'm like, he could be spy guy. Like, how did he rescue her daughter? And when did that happen? And was she kidnapped when she was little? And young what did he George do? George in medical school. And <laughs> Joyce. I'm like, I've written this entire series in my head. No, the, the answer is even crazier than that. Because apparently at some point there was a crack house in Costin where Anna Massey's daughter was kind of trapped with an abusive boyfriend, and Barnaby saved her. Why are we talking about crack houses when we have the Borg Queen? (laughs) 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 But, like, what does a Costin crack house look like? Does it have wisteria outside? Is there a garden? We are on page three of my notes and 40 minutes. And there hasn't even been a murder yet. You should go see if everything's tickety-boo. Where's tickety-boo come from? Most people think it dates from British colonial rule in India and is related to the Hindi expression tiki-babu, which uh, means something like everything's okay, sir. Oh, that makes sense. She also says Mr. Kipling wasn't just a jam tart. (laughs) Because Anna Massey speaks in code in this episode. We keep calling her by her name. It's Brenda Packard. <laughs> Jam tart. Wow. Do you know why she says that? No. Me either, but I did a bunch of research. <laughs> <laughs> and I still don't have an answer. But here's what I know. There are a line of baked goods called Mr. Kipling. <laughs> You're kind of red face now. Are you okay? You should breathe. <laughs> Hey, Mr. Kipling makes really good cakes and pies and stuff. They look really tasty. They launched in 1967, and they make they make jam tarts in black currant and apple, raspberry, and apricot. Oh, black currant. Black currant and apple sound good. good. Yeah. It's a combo. Oh, yeah. You can get a six-pack with two of each flavor. Can we get some of those? Because, like, when you ordered those jams, they were good. Yeah, too. they were good. So. Okay, but this is, like, this is like Little Debbie of England. Okay. Okay, Mr. Kipling is. So why does she say Mr. Kipling wasn't just a jam tart? Well, it's a prominent brand of jam tarts, right? Yes. So what's the real Mr. Kipling she's referring to? I would think Rudyard. You would think Rudyard Kipling, who was an author, right? But he died in the 30s. Mm -hmm. He was an anti-fascist. Yes. He spoke out against Oswald Mosley. Oswald Mosley was the black shirts. He was the fascist party in England. But here's something interesting that I didn't know about Rudyard Kipling. Because he had been raised in India, right, in colonial India, all of his books had a left-facing swastika on the cover, which is the Indian sun symbol. Yeah. But then once the Nazis adopted the swastika, now they adopted a right-facing swastika, he immediately had his publishers remove it from all of his books. Yes. So that's Rudyard Kipling. Okay, so here's the only connection that I can make between 
Kipling, Jam Tarts, and Spies. Are you ready? Yep. Kim Philby. Okay, so Kipling has a book called Kim. Yes. Okay. And Kim Philby was a double agent for Russia. He was a, a British agent who was a double agent in the service of Russia. He was called Kim as a nickname after Kipling's book. Oh, okay. That wasn't actually his first name. And Kim, the novel, is about a boy who is a spy. Yes. So she might be saying that Kim Philby was more than he appeared. Mr. Kipling was more than just a jam tart. I guess. Maybe. You follow that logic? (laughs) It's as good as the rest of this episode. Hey, we haven't even gotten to the ninjas yet. (laughs) Whoa. Ninjas. Yeah. I tried to learn more about safe houses in Cold War UK. Yep. Because I know there were some. I know they had some defectors and double agents and things like that in the service of the UK during the Cold War. But it is a topic that is now so buried by apocalypse preppers in Uh. terms of search results that it's very difficult to learn anything about real safe houses in the UK. That's unfortunate. Maybe somebody else uh, listening has a better answer for why she said that. Barnaby goes to Allenby House, and everyone knows he was in the company. He was only in it for three months. Joyce didn't even know he was in the company. Everybody else does. Hey, Brenda Packard keeps his Secrets Act signature in her pocket, (laughs) just in case she needs it. And then Ben goes to the museum, and we've talked about Randy Miss Watson and her craziness. Okay, but did you see the woman when she leaves? Like... When Ben leaves, she says, I'll still respect you in the morning. Yeah. Like, this woman might as well be going sexy, 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 sex. (laughs) But the woman who turns around and looks at her. Who's just a museum visitor. Just the judgiest woman. She should be. The head of the museum is shouting that in the middle of the museum. It's not a library, but museums are fairly quiet places. Yes. And I'm guessing that the kind of person who goes and hangs out at the Costume Museum on a weekday is a special kind of person. I guess. If you're not there with some school kids. Wouldn't it be closed after they had a break-in? No, because nothing was stolen. Now, it's not the Costume Museum that they're at at the beginning of the episode, is it? Is that the crime scene they're at? No. No, because that, remember, we see Seth breaking into the museum later. Oh, yeah. We don't. I thought I had an answer there for a second. The lost episode. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing Seth isn't. He's not a good butler. He's not a good butler. Man, does he slosh some soup. In bold on my notes, Seth is not butler material. (laughs) First of all, we know everything he touches immediately smells of sheep shit. (laughs) So I can only imagine he doesn't smell great, even though they put him in his clean monkey clothes. He changed his clothes like 15 times in this episode. And then he carries around that soup tureen. I was waiting for him to just put it under his arm and just like tip it over and just slosh some soup. But no, he uses a ladle, but then he pours it from like 12 feet up in the air into the bowl. So the VIP has arrived. Grand fromage. Jeffrey Larkin. The ginger spy. The ginger spy. Well, really what he is, is the ginger ringer. He's not supposed to be there. Yes. Right. It's a secret. Nobody is supposed to know uh, who he is. Yes. Except he's going to play cricket in yes. front of everybody under his real name. And everybody knows who he is already because he was a famous cricket player at one point. Yes. They're not good at keeping at, secrets. At the secrets. No, no. 
Borg Queen gets out of bed with Doctor Who and heads to the barn for sexy times. Because at this point, the Borg Queen has hit on every man she's met, including Barnaby. Oh, we could have been on the same desk. <laughs> like, Ginny, back. <laughs> hit her with a stick. Back, Ginny. In an episode of Strange Phrases, and this episode has lots of them, she arrives at the barn and says, you must be a Boy Scout, and then jumps on him. Somebody. What does that mean? He's prepared. What does that mean? He's got a condom. Does he show her the condom? I don't know, because I remember the first time I saw it, I thought it was a dead body. I was worried that he had his penis out already. (laughs) And that's why she said, oh, you're prepared. (laughs) And it's not Nikki. It's not her husband in the barn because he's asleep in bed. She later tries to say that it's him. Yeah. But now we know it's Jimmy Wales, the cricket coach. Who we haven't even got to yet. (laughs) Yes. Seth, the next day, finds a mutated sheep. Mutilated sheep. Not not a mutated. Not a (laughs) mutated. That's one level of crazy this episode doesn't go to, right? Well, and the first mauled sheep that we see is when Jarvis is trying to get to Allenby House for the first time. Seth puts it on Jarvis's car. Yeah, which would just stink. But it's a good dead sheep. It is a very good. That, that is our first dead body, and it's a good dead it's sheep. It's a good one. And the second one that he finds in the field, he kind of rolls over, and you think, oh, it's like clearly a bad dead sheep because its legs are like stiff and straight. But then they kind of slowly flop. And oh, like, no. Whoa, I'm impressed. The dead sheep are fantastic in this episode, as well as the tiny Samsung phone that yes. he pulls out. So. Seth is a big guy, but that phone looks tiny in his It's mitts. like a little flip phone. Yeah. I'm amazed that he can even push the buttons. And he takes a photo. It's only his fourth photo because it's photo number four. <laughs> <laughs> and it's taken at 3.50 in the afternoon, mm-hmm. even though the next scene refers to breakfast. So Who knows when these crazy people eat breakfast? Yeah. So Yeah, because this is the breakfast scene when Larkin, who's staying at Allenby House, comes down to breakfast for the first time and we have Malcolm trying to do Morse code to communicate with his son, thinking that Jeffrey won't know what Morse code is, I guess. They would all know Morse code, but none of these people know Morse code <laughs> because they're all completely bonkers. Yes. So the father's message is completely meaningless. Okay, so you actually slowed this down. Yes. And jotted down the Morse code and looked it up. Yes. You are a maniac. That's official. Jeffrey's, which was easier to catch all the dit dats. Right. Reads the following. USD KWG RSN. Oh, you know what that is? Oh, it's damn rude. <laughs> it's a substitution cipher based on five-digit multiplication by the morning and the time and how many slices of bacon you have. You just don't know the code. Seth is at the police station about his mutilated sheep and his incredibly crappy cell phone pictures are now high-quality images on bar- on Jones's computer. Oh, I thought they were they're on Gail's computer because oh, he's sitting yes. like in her lap, basically. Yes. The beast. The beast. It was mentioned by. Uh, Deacon Henry of Coston in the 16th Summit. summit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just making it up. Tom comes in and previously he talked about all the rules correctly and doesn't at this point. 
No, because he's just kind of lost it. Yep. He talks about rules. Oh, Barnaby loses it later. You haven't even talked about this is the episode in which Barnaby resigns. Again, nobody's dead yet. (laughs) We can't have a rule 69 when there are only 42 rules. And there are laws, not rules. There's some weird scene that involves Jeffrey and the Lord of the Manor. Malcolm. And talking about the Wolfman file. The word Wolfman. That's all that matters of that right now. (laughs) Well, and then Barnaby says, Jones is like, ah, we got to look into these sheep. And Jones says, uh, Barnaby says, I'm sorry, we have to look out for decency, justice, and the American way. Yes. And I had to rewind that several times because I'm like, I'm getting it wrong because it can't be decency, justice and the American way. Cause that's not the phrase. The it's phrase is truth, truth justice. justice and the American way. Usually associated with Superman. Superman. Yeah. It was never in the comic. Nope. It was first used on the radio show in the forties. So during the war, Superman was saying stuff about truth, justice and the American way. Well, the, the phrase truth, justice and the American way really would have been Barnaby would have known of it because it was at the opening of the Superman TV show from 52 to 58. That's probably where he, so that's probably where he heard it. Yep. And I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt that maybe it was sort of in reruns or something, but then Christopher Reeve does say it in the 78 movie. Okay. But that's the last, but that's not what Barnaby says. No, he says decency justice in the American way, which I don't know where that comes from. I can only think that for some reason they didn't think they could say truth, justice in the American way. Like maybe it's copyrighted. Maybe. There's a hole for you. People (laughs) listening are going, are they on drugs? They're on the drugs for sure. Let's have a cricket match. First of all, Joyce is here serving tea. Of course she is because she wasn't planning on being there (laughs) at all. But now she's volunteered. They go right into the weird esoteric cricket talk right away. Yes. We could have done an episode on the eight minutes of this cricket episode. This, in the show, we're only at 27 minutes and 20 seconds right Mm -hmm. now. We go to 35 minutes and 15 seconds, almost a full eight minutes of cricket. That's a lot. That is a lot in, in a show like this. And I get the awesome note, Nikki's butt button for ball scratching. Why? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the idea is that Tom catches Nikki, who is He's Peter Davidson, yes. who is Doctor Who, yes. cheating by razor sharpening his back metal button on his white pants so that he can score the ball in that some way that adds an advantage to him. I can tell you. Okay. All right. So there are two kinds of... Swing in cricket. There's conventional swing and there's reverse swing. Okay. And the difference between the two is the way that it curves, right? So it's like a curveball in baseball. Okay. And what determines that curve is the fact that the ball has a smooth side and a rough side. Okay. Now it doesn't come that way. No. Right? A brand new cricket ball is smooth on both sides. Okay. But you see cricket players rubbing one side of the ball on their pants all the time. That's because they're smoothing the smooth side. Because after 50 or 60 ins, is that what they call it? Overs, sorry. Overs. The ball starts to get rough because it bounces off of the soil every time they pitch it, right? So what they're doing is... 
they're not allowed to rough up the rough side, but they are allowed to smooth the smooth side. Okay. So that's what they're trying to do is to smooth one side of the ball because then you can throw this reverse swing that is much harder to hit. And Nikki is trying to rough up the rough side. Right. What they are allowed to do is polish or clean or dry the ball. And that's what they're rubbing it on their trousers for. And we saw Troy doing that when he played cricket in Dead Men's 11 too. Everybody does it yep. because they've got on white clothes, so they run, they rub a red leather ball in their pants and, and ruin everything, yep. says the person who does laundry and goes, what? Why are you doing that? <laughs> um, what they are not allowed to do, but people have done in the past okay. to add to Nikki's razor sharp butt button are things that will smooth the smoother side more. Okay. Like such sandpaper? As, no, smooth it. Okay. So lip gloss. Okay. Vaseline or just licking it. <laughs> the Brad Marchand of cricket. Oh, there's a, there's a deep dive right That's there. a hockey reference. I'm sorry, guys. So, yes, players have been caught having put things like Vaseline on a spot on their pants and then they rub the ball on uh, that spot to lubricate the smoother side. So Nikki's lubricated balls. No, because he's roughing up the rough side. Okay. Right? So he's doing the opposite, which is also out. They've been caught gouging them with their fingernails. Yeah. So they'll hold the ball and they'll scratch at it with their fingers. A bottle cap sewn into the waistband of their pants. So So it looks like they're rubbing it on their slacks, but they're they're really rubbing it across the back of a bottle cap. Wow. Buttons. Yep. Zippers. Yep. I saw footage of one guy, he's rubbing his crotch with the ball, pretending to smooth it, but what he's actually doing is rubbing it on his zipper. To rough it. Yes. But the most notorious case was a really big match where a guy had some sandpaper sewn into the waistband of his pants. So he's rubbing the ball against the sandpaper. The fact that these guys get caught doing this just boggles the mind, right? Like, that's just... So covert. How do they ever catch that? I mean, come on. He licked it. You know, he said he was washing the dirt off of it. There was one guy who kept sand in his pocket. Oh. And so he would get sand out of his pocket and rub the ball with it. And he got caught. And he said, no, no, I wasn't roughing up the ball. I used the sand to um, dry my hands. Yeah. <laughs> and he, so he didn't get caught for cheating. He got caught for having sand and not telling the, the refs, the umpires, that he had sand in his pocket. It's extremely complicated. We forgot a Seth job. He also plays cricket. He also plays cricket because he's in every scene of this episode. But Jones gets upset because Tom calls an LBW from the square leg. Yes. You know what that means? No, I don't. Um, So LBW is leg before wicket. Okay. They're not allowed to put their leg, any part of their body in front of the wicket. If the ball would have hit the wicket, but they put their body in the way to stop it, that's an LBW. Okay. It's like interference, basically. They're not allowed to do that. So the cricket match descends into a fight. At 11.30, though the light is fading fast. Did you see the yob? Did you see the yob? No. A yob from town runs onto the field. He's maybe 16, 17. Oh, he grabs a stick from the wicket. He grabs a stick from the wicket and later on is seen hitting one of the other players. Yes. With- <laughs> Never mind that there's a bat. 
I love that cricket club, by the way. It's beautiful. I wasn't able to find what club it's it is. It's just beautiful. Um, it's got a thatched roof that's gorgeous. Yeah. But the the railings are cricket bats. The railings are cricket bats. It's really which, pretty. It's gorgeous. Let me remind you, we are 35 minutes into this episode and no one has died. Yet. I know. <laughs> well, Larkin is about to get growled at. Okay, before Larkin is <laughs> did you hear the commentary outside the Oddfellows? No. So this guy and this girl are walking so past. So it's after the match. It's dark. It's dark. Yes. They're walking past the outfellow. The, the odd, Oddfellows. They're going in, a couple. Yeah. And someone yells out, scored again, haven't you, Andy? <laughs> right in front of this woman. Well, she laughs about it, and they go in, and they're roughhousing and drinking and everything else. Yes, and then we hear growling. Is this it is the, the beast? weirdest scene. He crosses the street and is under a tree to have a cigar, which, okay, you want to get away from the party, have a little quiet. All no. right. But then uh, you can call it growling if you want, but there's somebody in the bush going. And it's the Borg Queen. Yes. Who is the killer? It's Jenny. Jenny the is the killer. She's about to kill. Then there's this weird one frame scene of an eye, like a wolf's eye. Just a tiny frame. And then Larkin's face is shredded. Yes. And he's (laughs) dead on the pitch. Yes. So now we have our first actual scene of the crime from this episode. So Jenny moves his body from under that tree all the way to the cricket pitch. See, don't you understand that these people are masters of covert activity oh i forgot she's a spy (laughs) she knows how to do stuff so she actually uh hits him in the throat with a corkscrew yes and then fakes his face being ripped up using a saber-toothed tiger skull (laughs) which where is she where is she keeping that in the blue pail in the sheep No, I mean, barn? at the crime scene, no, where is she keeping I it? Don't. Did she keep it in the bush and run back to it? <laughs> she kept it wherever she put the wine bottle and the corkscrew after the crime. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Uh, okay, a couple of things we have to deal with with Jeffrey Larkin here. Okay, dead body. Mm-hmm. He, bad makeup, good dead body. Yeah. Okay, so he has these bad... Made by something bigger than a lion? What? A lion's paw is bigger than your face. Second... Okay, we're not there yet. Okay. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Second of all, did you notice he was loaded into the ambulance with his face uncovered? (laughs) That's for maximum effect of the shredding. We have to see that as much as possible. Because George is about to get really excited over cryptozoology. So then we go... To the autopsy with the unnamed photographer. <laughs> yeah, who is she? Who is she? She's not just a photographer because later on she's like prepping autopsy tools. Not only is Jeffrey Larkin good dead body, mm. he's good dead feet. Yeah, keeps his feet still. Keeps his feet still. That toe tag would tickle. Yep. The tickling toe tag. Is it an eagle? After the butt button of ball scratching. <laughs> Barnaby goes, could it be an eagle? <laughs> A lion? A, a lion? <laughs> what it is, is this midsummer. endeavor? It could be anything, right? It could be anything. It could be a wolf man. But George knows all about the sheep already. Yes. Because it's been everywhere. He's heard about Seth's sheep. You should keep an open mind. It's not my fault the whole world isn't black and white. What? Like it was in the 80s. <laughs> He's got four scratches, and the the skull that they they 
say he did it only has two big teeth. So two passes, you got to make with that thing. And they're not even sharp anymore. They're like rounded off. Okay. We have two things that happen next. I'm trying to get us through the episode. I'm sorry. (laughs) Tom goes to perform the interviews at Allenby House, and he gets called away and suspended because now it's MI6 territory. It's not his territory. And so he throws a big hissy fit and just leaves Jones behind. Just drives away. Just drives away. Like a toddler. And this is meant to be kept secret. Mm-hmm. There is a giant murder board at the cop shop. Yeah. About this. Yeah. But it, you know, it's in the hands of the the Secret Service now. Luckily, Gail wants to work together. Oh, Gail. (laughs) It's not Gail that we have a problem. It's not Gail's fault. We don't have a problem with Gail. We have the way, the problem that Gail works her way through every female cliche office silly thing. Mm hmm. In one and episode. that is the writer and the director's fault. Yeah. We want to make that clear. We're not blaming it's not Gail. not Gail. <laughs> or the actress who plays Gail. No. No, 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 no. So in another weird scene between Tom and Joyce, he's reading the newspaper and just happens to mention, as an aside, that he resigned. <laughs> and what does Joyce do? She just leaves. She just gets up and, and leaves. leaves. Slams the door behind her. She's gone. So that- She's had enough of him. That scene actually comes in a little bit longer because well, right, because yeah. he's been suspended first. Yeah, he gets suspended first, and Joyce is like, "Well, do you should do whatever you do when you're suspended before you were suspended before, and you just went ahead and investigated." Yes, just he think says, laterally. I don't know what that means, but you're always telling me to do it. Tom says, "I've been banned from the crime scene." Hmm. Where's the crime scene? The cricket pitch. Where is the next scene in which we see Barnaby? The cricket pitch. Yes. <laughs> And it's, I don't think he's suspended. He's, he's kicked off the case, right? Because he's allowed to be in the office. So he's not really suspended because otherwise he couldn't sit at his empty desk and like push a piece of dust around with his fingers. Never mind. He was at a crime scene at the beginning of the episode that he could go back and investigate instead. If you chose anybody in this episode to do a clandestine activity for you. Which would involve the stealing of videotapes. Who would you choose? Um, I would choose the guy who I don't think is mentally capable of doing that. Seth. Excellent. Seth, the tech wizard. Yes. Yes. Because, see, Seth wants to get to the bottom of who's killing his sheep, even though he's the one killing his sheep. Yes. So, they, you know, Barnaby uses reverse psychology on him. Yes. If you were to go and get that security footage, I would look at it and then we could find out who the beast is. Yes. And Seth's like, okay. <laughs> and steals what looks like a videotape, but is later shown to be a DVD. Yeah. Which are all labeled, by the way. Yeah. We learned that Jimmy Wells, the cricket player, was also Frazier's chauffeur in Berlin. So Nikki, Jenny, Malcolm, and Jimmy... Yep. We're all in Berlin in the 80s. Oh, and Anna Massey, too. Probably. I don't know where she was. She's probably. And Anna Massey, I don't think she could have been there because when they pull her up on the secret video oh. chat, Jimmy acts like he hasn't seen her in forever. We we will get into that video chat. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. They watched the video that Seth got them. Yes. Widescreen. Yes. Is there sound? No. 
because it's CCTV. Of the board queen bonking somebody. Yes. And But we can't see who it is. Because, you know, you put a security camera in the hayloft. Yes. Because that's where bad things happen all the time. She knows the person quite well, though, because she is doing the thing with them. Mm, that people don't do on the... Women don't do that on the first date, Gail says. This is not a date. No. <laughs> no. And clearly not their first one. Uh, the board queen bonks the hearse driver. Yes. In the hearse. Oh, no, no. Sorry. This is when... Nikki, Nikki goes to confront her. Nikki's drunk because he's always drunk, apparently. Yes. And he sees her flirting with the hearse driver, which she's just doing because she wants to use the hearse later. In the middle of the street mm-hmm. with the hearse driver, they have an argument in the middle of the street. And then the hearse people are taking the casket, any casket. Which... I think they're actually moving a body out of a house to put it in the hearse. And she's flirting with the driver. <sighs> while they're taking a body to the hearse. And why does Jimmy Wells, who owns a car dealership, also own the hearse? I don't know. And why is Seth fixing light bulbs? Because he's the fix-it guy. And he's tall. He can reach him. He could come to our house and replace a couple light bulbs we can't reach. He's really tall. Yep. So while Nikki is being killed, Barnaby is reading the newspaper. Yeah, and says he's resigned. Boy, they went to work on this newspaper. <laughs> Costin <laughs> seeks new striker in transfer market. Mm-hmm. So the Costin Football Club, which we've had no reference to before. I want a Costin Football Club t-shirt. Oh, later. Time out for Taylor. I guess his name was Taylor. Uh, council plans for a new park. Museum break-in in... Break in, nothing stolen. We knew about that. A dinner and dance for charity. Mm. The headline two under that seafood event. <laughs> sharp, That's kind of generic. Sharp rise in council tax predicted by Union Think Tank. Only has capital letters at the start of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Safety web is up. What is that article about? I don't know. I'm impressed though. It's a realistic looking newspaper. By the way, I resigned this afternoon. <laughs> we could do the retirement things like cruises. Whatever. Joyce runs away. She's just done with him. Like retirement for him is not going to be fun. She knows that already. Yeah. She, he may as well just work till he dies because he's not going to be fun when he's retired. So they find Nikki and he's been mauled by the beast too. In what I'm going to say is one of the best dead body performances of all time. Yes. Did you notice that she shines the flashlight in his face Mm -hmm. and his pupils don't move? That is stunning. Peter Davidson is Peter Davidson deserves a BAFTA for this. (laughs) He can control his pupillary response. Now, okay. So let's go to Greenland quickly. (laughs) When you film at night on a television show or a film, it's not, it, it is at night, but it's much brighter than you realize. Yeah. Everything is much brighter. So when she shines the light in his face, his pupils don't move because there's all this light on him already. Right. Right. And then they dim the footage. They put a filter on it or something to dim it. But it looks so good. Yeah. Because his, not only do his pupils not dilate, his eyes don't move. And his prosthetic is better than Larkin's was too. He, the man deserves a BAFTA. <laughs> Just for that one scene. Stunning. (laughs) And then there's Joyce getting all meta again because 
Barnaby has been storming around the house. He's resigned. He's grumpy. I'm not even going to answer the door because I don't work there anymore. They're in bed. And okay, the clandestine guy, the guy in charge of the of the clandestine operation, goes Jarvis to, goes to Barnaby's neighborhood at four in the morning and starts banging on his door. You can tell Jarvis is is from the Secret Service. You can tell he's from the big city because he wears a pinstripe suit at all times. All the time. Only people who live in London wear pinstripe suits. You know that, right? Yeah. Everybody else has to wear the same outfit for the entire episode, including Borg Queen. She has the same top and skirt on the whole episode, sometimes with a cardigan and sometimes without. The chief constable calls at four in the morning. There's been a murder. Joyce is is absolutely tired of the whole thing. And I think Jane Widenmark, not Joyce, says the Thank God for small murders. Thank God for small murders. And rolls over and goes back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) The toddler is now busy again. Let's have an autopsy at four in the morning. (laughs) George is so mad at him. I'm 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 sidetracked here because there's so much craziness. So there's an autopsy at four in the morning where they also get the museum curator out of bed to come and identify. She's not there at four in the morning. I double checked it. Okay, so it's later. It's later. When she says this is a smilodon yes. fatalis. Oh, we have lots to talk about there. Okay. Well, they know that Seth stole it because when they find the, the, the case that's been opened at the back end of the museum that she didn't mention before, that was clearly forced open and hadn't been opened before, something's missing. Yes. And they're not sure what was in the bag, except the bag smells like sheep shit, so they know it was Seth. Yes. <laughs> Seth stole something. Then Seth lives in a little like shed behind the pub, and we know that he grazes his sheep at Allenby House on their grounds. Yes. And apparently also has a gigantic barn there, too, where he keeps his sheep and his bin of mysterious things, his blue barrel of mysterious things. <laughs> that, that Jones finds the skull in remarkably easily. Oh, it's just sitting in it. It should have tons of blood on it, first of all. Tons. Blood is hard to get off. Yes. Especially bone. So we're supposed to believe that Jenny, a.k.a. Borg Queen, killed her husband in the barn, scraped his face up with this skull, then meticulously cleaned it and put it in the blue barrel and then pretended that she didn't know where he was and found him again. Yes. Yep. She's magic. She's mad is what she is. So now we have the autopsy with... The curator. Mm. And oh boy. She, well, it's not really an autopsy because it's the skull. Right. Okay. So that she, she identifies says, the skull. Right. Okay. At first she says that there was a report of a big cat being shot in the Ivory Coast in 1975. Because this is a species of cat that we think is extinct, but yes. maybe it's not as extinct as people thought. They're going with the cat thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So saber-toothed cats mm-hmm. lived up to about 11,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that means they are actually concurrent with modern humans right. in the upper Paleolithic period. Mm-hmm. Okay. People had domesticated animals and food by this point in time. Mm-hmm. It was, they, they, they are a lot closer and they died out mostly because of a quaternary Extinction, okay? okay? What that means is the major fauna of the time died out. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So the mastodons and things like that, you, you don't know where we're going here. <laughs> and the newer fauna that replaced them were too fast for these cats. Mm-hmm. The cats were not, they, they weren't long distance hunters. So they starved out because they couldn't. They couldn't hunt big animals anymore yes. that were slow enough for them to catch. Yes. Okay. And she calls it a Smilodon fatalis. Yes. Okay. That's probably what that skull is. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was a real animal, which would have been incredibly scary mm-hmm. to actually see one of those cats. The, yeah. The teeth were almost 12 inches long. Yeah. Just horrific. And they weighed like 300 pounds. They were big. I know where they got... The reference to 1975. Okay. It's from Carl Schuker's book, Mystery Cats of the World, which <laughs> talks about an alleged 1975 shooting of a mutant jaguar in Paraguay. Yeah, because they say it's not, they, they said at the time it wasn't a saber-toothed tiger. They reported it as a mutant jaguar. Yes. It was said to weigh 160 pounds. It was supposedly examined by the zoologist Juan Avacar, uh, and he measured the saber teeth totaling 12 inches long. I made the mistake of going and investigating Carl P. N. Schuker. Oh boy. He obtained his BSc honors degree from pure zoology at the University of Leeds in the UK and a PhD in zoology and comparative physiology at the University of Birmingham, UK. Okay. He has cred. Right. Okay. He's now a freelance zoologist, consultant, writer, and lives in West Midlands, England. In 2005, he was honored by naming of a new species of Lossophoran invertebrates after him, Perlocious sucrarii. Okay. Okay. I went to his website. I'm waiting for you to bring this back. I went to his website. Oh, boy. Wow. His (laughs) website at the bottom says it was updated last in 1998. And it's still up? And then I saw why. His friend, first of all, he has a picture of him and his mom on his website. It's darling. Okay. His friend made the website in 1998 and died tragically a few months later. And so he keeps the website exactly the way he did. His friend did it. So as a tribute to his friend. I'm not, even, I'm not even going to post the website as something to laugh at. No, it's sad. That's sad. Absolutely insane. And we're talking about this guy because he wrote the book that cited the 1975 mutant jaguar that then Miss Watson references in Midsummer. In 2001, he won 2,500,000 pounds on uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Good for him. <laughs> I'm completely fina- fascinated by this guy now. But he's, you, but he's you know, it's, it's got nothing on Seth's getaway tractor. <laughs> He's doing the tractor run. Like that's fascinating, but then Seth has a getaway tractor. <laughs> Jones tackles him off the tractor. Well, cuz he gets tired of just walking next to it. <laughs> it's the best getaway ever. It then is. that tractor takes a mysterious route cuz all is. the way to Allenby's front door. It is directed out into miles and miles of fields. We see that in front of it. There's no ha-ha outside Allenby. Suddenly, he's it's outside Allenby. That's the proof that their security is not good because the guard <laughs> let the tractor through the gate. <laughs> How does the tractor get? Oh, my God. The, self, the self-driving tractor pulls up to the gate. Beep, beep. And the guard goes, oh, okay, and opens the door. I'll let you through, sir. Thanks. 
Jones is so mad at Seth. <laughs> Unbelievably Wouldn't mad. you be if you had to chase a tractor and I, then tackle I, him off the tractor? I've I've had to chase a tractor. <laughs> yes, I understand. And I'm sure it made Jones smell bad because he had to wrestle him. Yes, I agree. And we have to skip over a lip reading scene. Because I know something about that. Okay. <laughs> Because usually in any other episode of Midsummer Maniacs, we take 20 minutes and talk about lip reading. But in this episode, we got to get to the ninjas. We're not even at the ninjas. I know. But so I just wanted to know whether they really had police lip readers. And there is such a thing as a forensic speech reading specialist, also called forensic lip readers. You laugh, but they're it's a real skill set. Oh. Deaf people or people raised in a home with deaf people are best yep. at it, right? Because yep. they have the skill, um, you know, from um, from a young age. But it's not usually admissible in court. But police do often use them for just this kind of footage to get leads and information, even though it's not admissible information. Yes. So it's a real thing. Yep. Well, it's cool. She does a great job. And Barnaby goes to confront uh, Malcolm about it and then says the best thing ever to Jones. I will quote. Do a dramatic reading, please. Okay. Let us insert some ninja into the appropriate orifices and see if we can make the horses dance. Jones says, what? We say, what? What? The people who do the subtitles say, what? What? It should be ginger, not ninja. It's ginger. So that makes sense. (laughs) gingering or gingering the tail is a practice of making a horse carry his tail high with a less extent to encourage it to move in a lively fashion it's a way to fancy up a horse before you sell it to make it look like it's uh, more lively than it is please sit down because the next sentence i'm about to say will make you want to sit down You ginger a horse by applying an irritant such as raw ginger to the anus or vulva. And sometimes they used a live eel instead. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would dance if somebody did that to me. (laughs) That Wikipedia page should not be read a second time. I couldn't believe there's a picture. Okay, I didn't see that. Thank goodness I didn't go down that hole. Whatever. <laughs> What's funny to me is so if you just if you just put in the quote, let us insert some ninja into the appropriate orifices, right? Because that's what the subtitling says. He says everybody thinks he says. And when you read the subtitling while you're listening, you hear what you see. Yes. Right. I mean it. It, <laughs> it took a little while to get us to gingering. Yes. But the way that I found it was I read an article about the declining quality of subtitling on TV. And it cited this as an example of how oh. high quality subtitling has gone the way of these auto subtitling software that make mistakes like this. It is just a collection of missteps that lead to a perfect storm of Putting ninjas up horses asses. (laughs) But even if you heard it right, even if you heard ginger. You would still be like. Like, why is Barnaby talking about putting ginger in a horse's ass to see if it'll dance? 
just wow. Just wonderful. Just just a throwaway line. Yep. That absolutely. Took up hours of my time this week. Then we can we can put our pedal down, right? So yeah. uh Brenda Packard is like, uh, I can't tell you anything. Okay, I'll tell you something, but if I told you that, I would have to send you to prison, Belmarsh, which is in Southeast London. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. She talks to Jimmy via securesite.org. Yes. I went down the securesite.org website. And was there anything interesting down that rabbit hole? Oh, my yes. Okay. (laughs) So, on the 12th of June, 2008, the securesite.org website included advertisements for award-winning quality videos. Oh, no, this is what it says on the side of the... what they have. It's basically Zoom, right? right. They, they have, okay. On the 12th of June, 2008, according to the Wayback Machine, they have uh, a company that sells security equipment at this website. Okay. The 1st of July, 2008, that website is now gone. Oh. It has disappeared and there is nothing on that website now. And how does that coincide with the airing of the episode? The filming of the episode was August, September, 2008. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the original website had a gentleman's name on it and his address. So I contacted him on Facebook. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> to see if the production company had purchased the domain. Uh-huh. I have not heard back. Oh, well, we'll have to update you on that we one if we hear back from him. Update, but I had to write a Facebook message that was like, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but did you own this website? 12 years ago. 12 years <laughs> But I can understand why the production company might have tried to do that because they don't want to drive traffic to anybody's business, right? So if there had been an actual business at that URL, they would have needed to use another one. But if the URL was up, like maybe he didn't renew it, and Something. so they snagged it. Something. Then. I want to know that story. Yeah, I definitely want to know that story because, wow, that gets interesting. So Jimmy reveals that. Oh, and somebody else owns that website now, so I can't buy it because uh-huh. I tried to buy it, too. So Jimmy reveals that he was part of the Berlin Escape and that they were um, blindsided by a traitor on the team. And that was Nikki. Yep. And. Now, you know, Nikki's dead and uh, Larkin is dead. And now. Luckily, Jones has a diagram. Well, and so Jenny has slept with the guy who's in charge of the hearse. And taken the hearse. Because I guess she couldn't just ask Jimmy if she could borrow it. Yeah. Even though he owns it. Yeah. And I guess she borrows his chauffeur's outfit, too. At least the hat. And. Has kidnapped Malcolm. Okay. In his casket. Yes. This is the slowest killing ever. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, anybody can just walk into a crematorium with a casket and light that place up and, and do it. Never mind that it takes like six hours for a crematorium to come up to temperature. Did you see the button on the side of the console and what it read? No. It says press button only, only is in all capital letters, to lower the catafalque. Yeah. Do you know what a catafalque is? Yeah. Okay. Why would that button be there if it wasn't to only lower the... (laughs) Like, if the button doesn't do anything else. 
I don't know. There's this trope on TV for crematoriums that the minister, whoever is at the pulpit, gets to push a button that automatically puts the casket into the ovens. That's not how it works. No, it's not how it works. But this catafalque is fancy. It's it not is. just a conveyor belt that just goes back. It goes down, it goes, and then it goes back. Then it goes back, and they rush past Jenny, and they wake up Malcolm in the casket. And he starts singing. He starts singing, and there's the flames behind him, and you just look at this episode, and you say, you went to 11. Yep. You you really did. And going to eleven sort of breaks Malcolm. Yep. It's so so Jenny is the killer. Killing doesn't work like that. Wine corks don't work like that. Skulls don't work like that. <laughs> Growling doesn't work like that. <laughs> Flashlights don't work like that. Ninjas so don't work ninjas like that. Don't work so 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 much tractors don't work like that work like that but this episode so works <laughs> i love it <laughs> it's great <laughs> jarvis is off to the northwest passage in his magically fixed car did you see how he fixed the car in his suit yeah do you see how he fixed he it? hammered out the panel no he put some tape on it oh that's good <laughs> Yeah, he, he's pretending it's a promotion, but they're clearly sending him to the middle of nowhere. The Northwest Passage. and Brenda, He's going to Siberia. And Brenda, who obviously lives in town mm-hmm. and would have seen Jim, Jimmy long before this, mm-hmm. uh, goes to the cricket game. Who is playing in this cricket game? There's I don't no know. It's a rematch. There's no one left. But the Allenby team has got to be like just Seth. Yep. <laughs> Seth is playing all the positions. <laughs> Maybe that's how he has all the jobs. He's got twins. And this episode ends. <laughs> Before it can get crazier, Sweet it's over. Sweet mother of God. This is a strange episode. I really like how Barnaby plays his cards yeah. to get control of the investigation. Yeah. He does a good job. He just waits until there's another body because he knows. He knows. Because it's midsummer. That there's never coming. just one. Not with a beast on the loose. The Randy curator is in three episodes, three scenes. scenes, in which two of which she is so randy that she <laughs> is climbing over <laughs> Jones. And we never get an explanation why we never get they finally went out on a date. Well, apparently they went out on a date before and it was good. (laughs) Nothing. I don't think we ever see this curator again. No, I don't think we do either. It's just, you know what it is? It's the librarian from Brokenwood Mm -hmm. where you're like, she's great. She should be in every episode and she should be Jones's girlfriend. It would be fun. Yeah. but And she could talk about. Midsummer history. Yeah. No. 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 Disappeared. She's never coming back. I, I want to know what direction they gave her. <laughs> okay. You haven't had sex ever, but you've heard about how great it is. With Jones. So. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. We, so, got, we got business to do now. Because, wow. Nice corpse. We've got two corpses. Yes. We have two corpses. And I got to say, 
I'm going with Peter Davidson. Nick really? King. Yeah. I'm surprised. Yeah, because of the eye thing. Because you just never let he on that that's the one that you thought was better. He doesn't even move his eyes. <laughs> and Jeffrey does such a good job. I Jeffrey know. gets screwed. Close second. He's the only one who doesn't get screwed by the poor queen. <laughs> this episode. I got bad movies for you. This movie is terrible. Ha, I bet Mark's seen it. Okay, so let's do bad movies. Okay, well, actually, I only have one because okay. the second one I can't really. So the second movie I was going to give you is from 1985, and it's got Alice Krieg in it. She's the Borg Queen and yep. plays Jenny Frazier. Yep. Um, she plays Beth Sheba. Oh, okay. Richard Gere is in it. Yes, it is. Ishtar. King David. King David. Okay. Yeah. It looks really bad. Yeah, it's it's quite bad. She's also in a movie called um, Sleepwalkers, which is a, um, wow, it's 80s. It's Oedipal. It's. <laughs> okay. It's, it's crazy movie. So here's my real horrible movie. Okay. The one okay. I have for okay. this week. Okay. Hit me. Hit me. Okay. This is from 2006. Okay. Alice Krieg is in this one, too. Okay. She played Jenny Frazier in the episode. Yep. For a group of teens, the answer to the mysterious death of their old friend lies within the world of an online video, I'm sorry, online video game based on the true story of an ancient noblewoman known as the Blood Countess. Movie taglines, you die in the game, you die for real. So this isn't secret game. No. No, no, no. I don't know what this is. It's 2006. I don't know. Stay alive. Stay alive. Ooh, that's got to be a bad movie. If I haven't even heard about it, it. has a a, a bloody um, a game remote on oh. the poster. It's like a wow. a PS4 controller covered in blood. Ugh. Wow! I'll put the poster in the notes. Play it to death. Play it to death. That's the other tagline. Okay. I win. Ha 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 ha. One point for me. I thought 2006 video games and murder. You've seen it. You would think, but no. No, 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 no. no, no. I win. Nope, nope. Okay. After the credits, I've been sitting on something all week because of this. Is it ginger? No. Okay. It's blonde. (laughs) Okay. They do a horrible job in this episode, and it leads me into something that relates to after the credits. I don't care about any of the people in this episode, but one person after the credits. Okay. And that is the little blonde boy. The one who they helped escape from the, over the wall? Who it's implied is the son of the Boar Queen. And Jimmy? And Jimmy. They imply that. Okay. Where is this child? I didn't get that implication. I didn't. But why would they take a single child across the border? Because... They say later on that they only took people across the border. Some of them who deserved it. Some of them were good guys, but most of them were, were people who played, who paid backhanders. Yeah, yeah, that child's not doing that. Why are they <laughs> taking that child across the border? I don't know. And what happened to him? If they pay another person, the mother, the, she can be a mother and a child taking that child across the border. It makes perfect sense. But the child alone implies that the board queen's his mother. See, I think it implies that he's an orphan. She touches him. Like Well, because he's scared and he needs to move fast. What happens to that child? What happened to the baby? What happened to the, the baby boy? No, I was talking about the baby in the stroller. Well, no, the baby in the stroller is shown as a doll. I know, but she's gone. The little boy's gone. So Jimmy, who's supposed to be a spy, is left on the other side, and now he has the baby stroller? I, I guess. He's supposed to walk out of the cemetery with the stroller all by himself. 
That was never going to work. <laughs> that poor little boy. What happens to the boy? I don't know. Grows up and becomes Jones. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, Jones is from Wales, not from I, Germany. I did have, I tried to figure out if it could be Seth. I did. I no way. To, yep. But it's not Seth. Okay. Yeah. The ages are all, all wrong. Ages are all wrong. I am. I worried about that little boy all week. If he had dark hair, he could be the the chauffeur. He could be the chauffeur, <laughs> which would be strange. And gross. <laughs> but you know, it's the Borg Queen. <laughs> She's strange like that. So poor Malcolm is in a wheelchair and is nonsensical now. He's got a nurse, though. Right. So he owns Allenby and he keeps Allenby. But he's got nobody to leave it to. No one to leave it to. Um, Seth. I think Seth probably gets Allenby at the end. I don't know. I, maybe he leaves it to the government. Seth uh, helped the cops, so I don't think he's going to be. No, he's fine. He broke into the cost and. He killed his own sheep. Yeah, yeah, I think. That's no big deal. No. Um, Gail does something wrong and makes her go back to uniform after a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to figure Brenda Packard <laughs> just goes back to her cottage and grows her big vegetables. And um, like, like Joan says, she was watching the the uh, CCTV and Barnaby goes, oh, she's keen. No, that's her job. Yeah. You asked her to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh that's secrets and spies, guys. Wow. Secrets and spies. We're, we came back on a doozy. I hope you were able to follow along. Episode. <laughs> We really didn't drink or anything before we started recording. It's just that crazy. And it's just so fun. And we left stuff out of the podcast. We yeah, did. We did. We did. Le- we left stuff out of the podcast. So, wow. But now we know about forensic lip readers. We know about ginger and horses. We know about. Too much about smooth, ginger and horses. Smooth and rough sides of cricket balls. We yeah. know about uh, Mr. Kipling and his tarts. Giant cats. Ways to escape over the Berlin Wall British and Superman. Zoologists and Superman. So. Thanks to Midsummer. You can find Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter, Instagram, and email. You we say also, that like. <laughs> we also post on the Facebook groups of Midsummer Acorn. Like, unfortunately, we're well, we're out there. And we're. <laughs> And if we get a response from that guy on Facebook, we'll let you know. We, we will let you know. There's a subreddit that everybody loves, apparently, right now. YouTube, like and subscribe to YouTube and uh, hit the bell. Uh, next episode, Pedals to the Metal Still, episode uh, 60. This will be episode 70, mm-hmm. season 12, episode 4, The Glitch. Nice. I promise. I, I want to make this promise publicly before next week's episode. I will try not to talk too much about how this is not how software works. Okay. okay. Promise? I promise. Promise. I promise. Okay. We'll hold you to that. Okay. All right. Until next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. During that search, I did learn that one of the biggest companies building bunkers, apocalypse, luxury level apocalypse bunkers for families of high wealth and value. Not only do they have a giant installation in the UK, but they also have one here in Indiana. 
Oh. Less than 20 miles away from our house. Oh, we have to go there. That was a hole I had to pull myself yeah. out of fast. I'm like, <laughs> Literal not hole. topical, not about the crazy episode. Back, back, back. So that's how Mr. Kipling isn't just a jam tart, maybe.